Well, good evening. Welcome to everybody. Welcome to Revelation chapter 8. We have arrived at the wonderful chapter and very interesting chapter tonight. So glad that you're here. It's good to see all of you. We had a wonderful day, Easter, and a great celebration here. Packed house twice and a lot of people online, and it was just really a good day here at First Baptist. But looking forward to our Revelation study. We're to chapter 8, and we're going to just go week by week all the way until August the 17th. Uh, until we finish the book of Revelation, and uh, hopefully you'll uh, be blessed and, and, uh, and know more about, of course, we know we're going to be blessed because God promised a blessing for those that study it and read it together. So glad that you've joined us. Those joining us online, we welcome you as well, wherever you are and however you may be joining us. Uh, let's have a word of prayer, and we will start with Revelation chapter 8. Father, thank you tonight as we open up your word together and study it together. Father, that you are the one that uh, is in control of, of history and the future. And Father, because of Jesus, we know where we're going. And we know, Lord, that it's going to be good with you. Father, we also realize that, that this book tells us many things about the future. And I pray that you'd give us wisdom and insight, God, as we, as we read through it, to know exactly what you'd have us to know, to encourage our hearts and spirits as we serve you. Father, thank you for everyone who's joined us here uh, in person. Everyone has joined us virtually. We pray your blessings upon them, and may the Holy Spirit be our teacher tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Revelation chapter 8. We will look at all 13 verses tonight. First of all, by way of recap, just going to summarize where we are. That sometimes helps the word Revelation, of course, is the word apocalypsis in Greek. We get the word apocalypse from it, meaning an unveiling or a revealing, something that has previously been hidden that is now made known. It was written to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Uh, John wrote it on the island of Patmos around 90 A.D., about 30, uh, really about 60 years after, after the um, uh, resurrection and, and ascension of Jesus. And then, um, as you know, it's a series of visions, more than 60 visions in the book, 350 references to the Old Testament, and we began with each uh, church receiving a letter, the seven churches, and then chapters 4 and 5, they were uh, chapters of the Father on His throne in heaven, and Jesus taking the scroll, only one worthy to open the scroll, taking it and opening the seven seals. We saw beginning in chapter 6, as the seven seals were opened, the first six seals are in chapter 6, and uh, those were, as he opened those, you remember the first one was the white horse that came forward, uh, the Antichrist, looking to be good, but really evil, looking to be imitating what Christ is, but actually against Christ. The second was the red horse, that was the horse of war. Uh, and then the black horse, the, black, the uh, horse of famine, and then the fourth uh, seal being the, the pale horse of the horse of death, where one-fourth of the world uh, dies. And then we have the uh, fifth seal, the saints under the altar wondering about their blood being avenged, and then, of course, the sixth seal being the natural cata catastrophes that hit the earth. So then, after chapter 6, last week, chapter 7, we had a brief interlude before we get to the seventh seal. And that interlude is two visions. One, the 144,000 of the Israelites who are sealed. And then the second vision, the great multitude from every nation, tribe, language, and tongue gathered around the throne. So two visions before he begins uh, the seventh seal. So now tonight, in a very dramatic fashion, the seventh seal 
is opened. Silence is awkward, isn't it? <laughs> Seventh seal was opened. There was silence for 30 minutes. I only did 30 seconds. It's awkward, wasn't it? You're wondering, did he have a stroke? What happened? <laughs> but there's something striking about silence. Chapter 8, when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now, 30 minutes is not really long compared to eternity. But in context, it can seem forever. If a preacher is preaching a sermon and he stops his sermon for, for five minutes, that's really awkward. And it's striking. The silence is striking. Like I said, I only did it 30 seconds. And you're going, this is awkward. And there's no indication that this is not literal. It appears to be literal. 30 minutes of silence. Now, up until now, heaven has been a busy, noisy place. We've seen a vision for seven chapters of it. It's been loud. It's been busy. It's been noisy. Praises and songs are filling the air and Ten thousands upon ten thousands are bowing down and worshiping and shouting praise to the Lord and hymn after hymn and song after song, rafter raising praise. And now all of a sudden the seventh seal opens, dead quiet. Probably like it was here just a moment ago. Dead quiet. Every voice goes silent. Every instrument is stilled, and for 30 minutes, nobody made a sound. Silence. Now, that happened one other time in history. You remember on the cross, as Jesus hung there, the heavens were silent. And so, silence now waiting for the seventh seal to be opened. It's almost as if all of heaven is anticipating, waiting for the silence to be broken, waiting for this seventh seal, because folks, when the seventh seal opens, you just thought it's been bad before. Now, it gets worse. So, all of heaven is waiting, waiting silently, on the edge, waiting for this seventh seal to open. Habakkuk wrote, chapter 2, verse 20, The Lord is in His temple. Let the earth be silent before Him. Zechariah, chapter 2, verse 13 says, Be still before the Lord and silent all mankind because He has roused from His holy dwelling. Whenever God gets up from the throne to do something on earth, silence. 30 minutes. Why the silence? 
Well, some theologians say heaven's catching their breath, like, oh, what's about to happen? Some say it's like a courtroom where the sentence is about to be read and everybody gets quiet. Your Honor, the, the jury says, and everybody's quiet. Silence. Because they know the consequences are coming. Like silence in the courtroom or, or maybe the saints and angels are waiting to see what happens next on earth. Or like the calm before a tornado. You know, they say the, the warm, dry air is stable and then there's an updraft on the leading edge of a tornado. And so right before a tornado, it goes quiet. And then the tornado hits. And that's what's happened. Silence for 30 minutes. Seven seals opened. And I mean it hits upon the earth. God's trumpet of judgment during the Great Tribulation. Now, I had a preacher friend who said this passage is proof that men get to heaven 30 minutes before women because there was silence for 30 Now, I didn't say that, okay? I didn't say that. He said that. So, I just wanted you to know that that is not how I feel about that. So, now let's, let's see what happened. Silence for half an hour. Verse 2. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. So these first five verses, we're looking at the, the seal and the golden censer. So 30 minutes of silence, and then John's watching, probably, probably a little awkward, watching the anticipation, and all of a sudden he sees the seven angels standing before God. Each one of them gets a trumpet. The seven trumpets. Now, who are these seven angels standing before God? We don't know. It's a Jewish tradition that the Jews believe, still believe to this day, uh, that, that there are seven angels that stand before God constantly. This is the only time we're really told about it in Scripture. And so maybe they're right, but that has been Jewish tradition for many years. The seven angels who stand before God constantly, well, it says that there were seven angels who stood before God and each one of them received a trumpet. Now, in biblical days, trumpets were important. They, they played a major role in the life of Israel in the Old Testament. They would sound the trumpet, the Israelites would, when they were getting ready to go to battle. They did it to assemble the people, but they also did it to intimidate the enemy. Whenever you hear the trumpets blaring and the people gathering, that would intimidate the enemy before they attacked. So, in the life of Israel, they'd blow a trumpet before they would go to war. They'd blow a trumpet to assemble the people for any kind of assembly. They would blow a trumpet before judgment was given out. They would blow a trumpet during the ceremonial processions. They would blow a trumpet at their feasts. They would blow a trumpet as they began journeys. They would blow a trumpet at the new year. They would blow a trumpet many times in the life of the Israelites, but especially when judgment came. And this appears to be God blowing seven trumpets when he's ready to bring judgment upon the earth. 
So John said, I saw the seven angels who stand before God. Seven trumpets were given to them. Verse 3. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. Now stop there for a moment and see what this could have been. So John's watching, silence, and then angels are given seven trumpets. And then right after that, another angel, he said, walks up to the golden altar in heaven. Who's this other angel? Or not? We don't know. Two theories. One theory is that it could just be a regular angel, as we know angels. The word another there in Greek is, literally means another of the same kind. So it could have been just a regular angel. But there are some believe that it was Jesus. That Jesus was the other angel that walked up to the altar and got the golden censer and brought it out. And the reason they think it might have been Jesus is because in the Old Testament, Jesus makes all kind of appearances. In fact, as you read the Old Testament, if it says an angel of the Lord, an angel of the Lord, it meant just any angel. But if it says the angel of the Lord, it's always a reference to Jesus. So, as, you, as you're looking, you're seeing it could be the angel of the Lord here. It could be Jesus himself walking up to the altar. So that's possible. So as he took a golden censer, a censer, uh, as you know, it was, it was a container for incense in the Old Testament. So you may have seen priests in the Catholic Church that they have, that they would wave the censers. They would usually have a gold chain. They would have a, a, a gold censer and they'd wave it. There'd be incense or smoke that would come out. That's an Old Testament concept from the tabernacle. So they would have an incense or a censer that was filled with incense about 150 times in the Old Testament it did that. And so if you remember the first vision we saw of heaven, it was laid out along like the Old Testament tabernacle. And so now here we have a censer that's used in the tabernacle. So much of heaven resembled what God said the tabernacle in the Old Testament was to be like. So the censer with the incense. Now, in the Bible, prayers and incense are often associated together. And they're similar. Both of them are precious in God's sight. Your prayers are precious, the Bible says. Both of them are pleasant to the Lord. Both of them ascend up to heaven. And so both of them are a sweet aroma to the Father. Your prayers and the incense. So there was a close association throughout the Bible of prayers and incense. And here we see it again. Did you notice in verse 3? Let's read it again. And another angel came, stood at the altar, the golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of the saints. So there we see the connection again. Now, with the prayers of the saints on the golden altar before the throne, what, what are these prayers? prayers. And why would they not be answered until now? Why would a prayer be prayed years ago, thousands of years ago? Why would it be prayed then and not answered until now? 
Well, remember we talked earlier a couple of weeks ago about the prayers that were being, being offered and now that they're, they're being heard. This is not just any prayer that you pray for yourself or for your family or for your job or for your health or, or just to God to bless your day or anything like that. That's not what these prayers are. These are prayers specifically for what Jesus said for you to pray for in the Lord's Prayer. What did he pray? He said, we are to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's about to happen. Now he is about to make heaven and earth be one, be the same. So judgment has to come on the earth first before his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So now billions of prayers are about to be answered. Thy kingdom come. Those are the prayers. None of them were forgotten. None of them were unheard. The prayers of the ages have now all arrived in heaven. And the angel is taking them to the Father. Isn't that an interesting concept? Now, notice it does not say that the angel is offering the prayers. The angel's delivering the prayers. Why is that important? Because there are belief systems today out there, Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, some others who believe that we are to pray to angels and the angels deliver the prayers. We believe the Bible teaches, I believe the Bible teaches, you can pray and your prayer goes directly to God. You don't need an angel to take it for you. So notice the angel's not praying the prayers for you or offering the prayers for you. He's delivering the prayers that have been stored up waiting for the fulfillment of thy kingdom come. God's kingdom is about to come, his will to be done on earth. And also, if you add another couple of passages in here, it kind of gets more interesting. 2 Peter 3, 10 through 12 tell us that your prayers hasten the day of the Lord. Did you know that you could bring the day of the Lord faster through your prayers? Wait a minute, Pastor. I, I thought that day was set. Well, not according to Peter. Your prayers and my prayers can hasten the Lord's coming and the day of the Lord. 2 Peter 3, 10 through 12. So, in a sense, your prayers are... And my prayers for God to move are now moving heaven. Sometimes people wonder, my prayers making a difference? Well, they're making a difference here. Does prayer really matter? I've heard people say, Pastor, if everything's predetermined, why does prayer matter? Well, first of all, everything's not predetermined. That's a falsehood that you've heard your whole life, and I've heard my whole life. What's going to be is going to be. That's not true. It's not biblical. So your prayers do matter, and here, heaven and earth are moving at your prayers. So, the angel goes to, gets the censer, goes to the altar to offer the prayers of the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And then as John's watching, something interesting happens in verse 5. Then the angel took the censer. Filled it with fire from the altar and threw it back on earth. So I, I can just see the angel walking up, 
filling the censer with fire, rearing back and throwing the censer down to earth and boom, it hits on the earth. And the Bible said there were peals of thunder and rumblings and flashes of lightning and an earthquake immediately when it hit the earth. This is all during the great tribulation time. So now, the scene shifts. First five verses, heaven. What all is going on up there? Now, verses 6 through 13, rest of the chapter, rest of tonight, what happens down here? The scene shifts from heaven to earth. And when the seventh seal is opened, it sets in motion the sounding of all the seven trumpets, one by each angel. And now if you let's see letter B on your outline, the seven trumpets, verses 6 through 13. Now, just a quick word before we start looking at the trumpets. Very interesting. The trumpets are very similar to the plagues upon Egypt in the Old Testament in Exodus. If you want a preview of what the tribulation is going to be like, Read Exodus 7 through 12 and the plagues upon Pharaoh. They're almost identical. It's almost like they're being repeated. The plagues, you know, God's people there wanting to be delivered. And the plagues that came upon Israel, I mean upon Egypt, they're almost the same. So if you want a preview of what it's going to be like in the future, read Exodus 7 through 12. The plagues are almost identical. So let's start looking at them. First of all, the first trumpet, number one, verse seven, plague upon the vegetation. Verse seven, the first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth and a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up. Now, let me just make one quick comment about the green grass being burned up. Next week in chapter 9, verse 4, we're going to see more green grass on the earth. So, why is there more green grass? Well, uh, it, it could be, well, we're actually going to see grass on the earth, not green grass. So, one theory is the green grass is burned up now. The brown or the dormant grass is burned up in chapter 9. That's possible. Or another theory is between 8 and 9 is a period of time, up to three years, where it could be the grass grows back. So, that's possible as well. But they're burned up in verse 7. So, when the first trumpet reverberates through heaven, there will be a supernatural global firestorm that rains down hail from the sky like machine gun pellets. Mixed with lightning strikes that are so severe, it's going to trigger massive fires upon the earth. What was a plague on Egypt in chapter 9, verses 22 and 26? Hail and then the fires. Now, whatever you believe about climate change, some say, well, it, it's real, and others say, well, it's not. So what, whatever we believe about climate change really doesn't matter here because the plagues that are unleashed will change the climate of the earth. And they're going to ruin the atmosphere once and for all. 
Now, one of the differences between what we hear about climate change today and, and this, there's a big difference. Climate change today, people say, uh, is man-made. There's nothing man-made about verse 7. It's, it's judgment from God. It's no doubt judgment from God. Man has nothing to do with it. And so, verse 7, when the first trumpet blows... Everybody on earth will know this is judgment from God. Big question. Why is it it hailing fire? No, no, you'll know. First trumpet sounds, it's judgment from God. All over the globe, forest fires, grass fires, and it's going to darken the sky and contaminate the sky, causing loss of life and total social upheaval. Now, what does this sound like? Sounds a little bit like a nuclear war, doesn't it? So there are some Bible scholars that believe what is being described in verse 7 is possibly nuclear war or a nuclear fallout. Don't know. Could be natural, but it could be nuclear as well. We don't know. But it sounds, Billy Graham was one, was convinced after reading Revelation, our world's going to end in nuclear war is what he said. Now, we don't know that for certain. But, it, but you can see the similarities of how it sounds. So the first trumpet is the plague upon the vegetation around us. Go to the second trumpet, verses 8 and 9, number 2. Second trumpet sounds, and it's a plague upon the oceans. Verse 8. The second angel blew the trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea... And a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. Let's stop for a moment and talk about this. Second trumpet sounds and another catastrophe ensues. From this description, it sounds like, it appears like something like an asteroid or a meteor colliding with the earth and then splashing down into the ocean and poisoning vast amounts of the ocean waters. That's what it sounds like, an asteroid or a meteor. Now, scientists use the term impact events. NASA uses the term possible impact events with the earth. They're constantly scanning the skies uh, looking for, for objects that, that possible planet-killing collisions with astronomical objects, uh, meteoroids or, uh, meteors or, or asteroids. And so they're constantly looking for these objects that could collide with the earth and, and cause damage. In fact, um, there was one asteroid about 50 years ago uh, that came very close to the earth. And if you remember, they, you know, they, they talked about it. It was, caused a little angst there for a while and passed on. There's one that NASA's watching now that it should come close to the earth 2026 or 2029. One of those, either one of those years could possibly be a problem. And so there, some theologians see in this some type of asteroid or comet or something that collides with the earth and is splashes down in the ocean and causes the ocean to become blood-like uh, and the living creatures die and the ships die. Whatever the object is, 
this catastrophe is going to pollute a third of the ocean water. Now, notice a phrase here that I want to read that, that or mention to you that a lot of other Bible scholars uh, point to. Notice in verse 8 when it says something like a great mountain. doesn't say it is a mountain. It says it's like a mountain that hits the earth. That could be an asteroid, right? Or meteor. But, but it could also be a nuclear bomb. So some people believe this great mountain, like a great mountain, could be a fireball that hits. And so there are some scholars that believe it could be a nuclear bomb as, as, as the great mountain. So you'll see that as you read a lot of the scholars that it's very possible that it could be. Whenever it hits, a third of the ocean water will be, life will be, will be killed. Imagine a third of all the seas and a third of all the oceans becoming contaminated so that the water looks like blood. It becomes like red, a rust red. You remember one of the, um, one of the plagues upon Egypt, don't you? The water became blood. And this is where a third of the waters will become rust red. Another image, of course, from the Exodus plagues. Now, some scholars point to the fact that salt water and blood have the same chemicals. I know evolution, evolutionists point to that as well and say, oh, mankind came from salt or from the salt water and from the oceans. That's where humanity came from because that's what blood, they have the same chemicals. They have the same chemicals, but they're not in the same proportion. There's no way evolution could point to life coming from the ocean, even though this, they try. Some of our kids are taught as early as fifth grade, by the way, that, that that's true, that the water, salt water and blood has the same properties, and so they're chemical properties, so therefore it's very possible that, that life came from water, from the ocean water. Taught that in fifth grade. But that's not true because the constituency is different, rules out DNA, a lot of the things you get into. But some scholars have pointed to the fact that salt water and blood have the same proper chemical properties except for iron. And so they believe that whenever this hits, the asteroid releases the iron then into the waters and it causes a blood-like look to it. So it becomes rust red color. Something similar happened in 1901 in southern Europe and Italy. Red sand from the Sahara Desert blew in and it mixed with a rainstorm. It actually rained blood red drops in 1901 in, in southern Europe for an afternoon, which caused a lot of consternation as well. But you can imagine all of a sudden a third of the waters in the ocean turning a rust red color. Not only that, notice it says that one-third of the ships were destroyed. Currently today, there are registered about 25,000 ocean-going merchant ships. Imagine 8,300 of those being destroyed. Well, that's going to make social media, isn't it? And imagine the cargo they're carrying. You talk about our food chain supply now because they're docked off the coast of California and can't come in. You talk about a third of them being destroyed with this whenever this whatever hits, hits. 
And then a third being destroyed, that's more than 8,000 ships with cargo gone. That's going to make major news. And that's the second trumpet. Let's go to the third one. Verses 10 and 11. Third trumpet, the plague on fresh waters. Not salt water, fresh waters. Verse 10, then the angel blew the, blew his, the third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been, been made bitter. So, now again, this sounds like an asteroid, a meteor shower, something happening where a star from the sky falls. Something's going to hit to where there will be major failures in the water supply all around the world. One scientific organization said, quote, it is 100% certain the earth is going to be hit by a devastating asteroid. But we're not 100% certain of when it's going to happen. Stephen Hawking passed away in 2018. The last book that he wrote, he says, in his opinion, the biggest threat to our planet is not global warming, climate change, all of that. It's asteroid collision. And as you read Scripture... That looks to be the case. Some type of collision, a star falling from the sky, blazing like a torch, hitting the earth. And when the third one does, it changes the rivers and the waters uh, into bitterness. One third of the waters are turned bitter, and people will die from drinking the bitter water. Now, the word wormwood uh, is proverbial for bitterness or sadness in the Bible, but it was also a plant back in biblical days. It was very bitter. And um, so, people in these days would know exactly what wormwood was, and so the, it was the name of the stars called wormwood. Now, National Geographic reports that today there are 100 major rivers. They range from 4,000 miles long to 150 miles long, but they're um, it's not a major river if it's under 150 miles long, but there's one, 150 major rivers. And this says that they will have uh, become bitter. One-third of them will become bitter and undrinkable. As you know, many places around the world, they rely upon the freshwater sources to get water. And so you can imagine if one-third of the rivers turn to, to bitterness where you can't drink them, but people try to drink them, They'll die from it, where you can see water then becoming really important as a source starting to dry up now in the tribulation. How far are we into the tribulation at this point? Most Bible scholars say of the seven years, probably about two to three years in. Not quite halfway yet. Probably about two years in is when the, these will begin to take place. Now let's go to the fourth trumpet, and that's where our chapter ends tonight. The plague on the heavens and darkness on the earth, verses 12 and 13. Verse 12, Then the fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened. 
and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an angel crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth, as the blasts of the other trumpets and the three angels are about to blow. All right, let's look at the fourth trumpet and wrap up the chapter. When the fourth trumpet sounds, it signals a devastating loss of sunlight. Now, you may think, well, okay, but, but think about how much sunlight's important to our planet. How sunlight is important to us. With the fourth trumpet, a third of our day will be darkened. A third of the night will be even darker. And, and then a third of the light or the sun will be dark. Imagine the sun becomes a third less bright all of a sudden. Well, how would that happen? Well, with the first three trumpets and all that's happened to the earth, the ozone layer being damaged, the atmosphere being corrupted, debris in the atmosphere from all that's taken place so far, you can imagine it darkening the sun with all the pollution in the atmosphere. It darkens the sun where it's only two-thirds as bright as it used to be. Can you imagine heat problems all the problems that are going to occur whenever the sun becomes one-third darkened. You remember on the day Jesus died, don't you? The sun stopped shining at noon. Why? Because darkness has always been a symbol of judgment. Always has. Go back to Egypt. Go back to the plagues. Darkness. And remember, that was the one plague that really drove them nuts. That was the one plague they were going to say, maybe we need to reconsider. Was the darkness plague? So darkness has always been seen as, seen as judgment. And so our world is physically going to become darker. I know you probably remember in 1980, whenever Mount St. Helens erupted in the Pacific Northwest, plumes of ash went into the air, and it turned the day into like night in the Pacific Northwest. Much of, much of the Pacific Northwest, daytime, just a cloud, looks like, it's, looks like it's night. Imagine, and Mount St. Helens is kind of a minor earth, or volcano. What if one of the Earth's super volcanoes like Yellowstone erupted? Scientists say if Yellowstone does erupt, Ash could cover the entire continental U.S. if it's a major volcano. So you can see how this could happen. Along with the ash comes plumes of gas, sulfur dioxide causing the skies to be filled with acid rain. Uh, it's, it's not that far-fetched at all, is it? And then, look at the last, verse 13, it says, Then after the first four trumpets, there I looked, and an eagle crying with a loud voice flew and said, Whoa, 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 earth, you haven't seen anything yet. Those last three trumpets, you better buckle your seatbelt. It gets worse. This sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? It gets worse? 
Next week in chapter 9, we're going to see the final three trumpets and how it gets worse. Now, just to wrap up, I was just kind of curious uh, after having done my research and studied for the chapter, uh, just some things um, online that uh, secular people are saying about, about uh, meteors and asteroids and what may happen. And there are a couple of websites I found that were both secular, that are not Christian at all, I thought pretty interesting, some things that, that they were saying. And if it's on the internet, it's got to be true. So therefore, but no, just some perspectives that they have, that the lost has. Uh, of course, you may remember in 2013, I remember this, over Russia one night, a meteor blasted in the skies. You remember that back in 2013, nine years ago? Didn't hit anything, it just, it just it, it blasted in the, in the air over Russia, didn't hit anything, but just the blast itself wounded a thousand people on earth, and there was structural damage to 7,000 buildings. Um, and scientists say that that blast in 2013, in, in, up in the atmosphere over Russia, was 20 to 30 times greater than Hiroshima. And so, and you can imagine if one of those hit, not just in, in, the, in the, uh, the air itself. So, there's one website, 15 things that would happen, this is from a scientific perspective, if a meteor hits tomorrow. And as I read through these, it sounded like I was reading chapter 8. Listen to some of them. Injuries, fractures, concussions, dislocations, asthma, breathing problems, uh, second of all, uh, there would be critical damage to the infrastructure, bridges, roads, buildings. Uh, another, another uh, result, uh, there would be environmental and the ecosystems would all be thrown off. That's exactly what's described in chapter 8. Uh, food and water shortages, that's what we saw last week in chapter 7 and in chapter 8. Scattered debris that would cause radiation and chemical exposure, that's exactly what we're seeing. Worldwide earthquakes would be triggered whenever Russia had the meteor explode. Uh, there was an earthquake, uh, 2.7 on the Richter scale. Earthquakes would start popping up because of, the, of the, the, uh, how the world would be affected. Tsunamis uh, would result, of course, if it hits in the water. 70% chance, NASA says, if there is an asteroid that hits us, it's going to hit in the water. That's what uh, the third trumpet said, it's going to hit in the water. And, and so you have tsunamis as a result. They also said on the website that there would be weather disturbances, ozone layer would be damaged, exactly what we saw tonight. Uh, they're saying that there would be changes in the atmosphere where there would be harmful gases and chemicals that would be released. Nitrogen and oxygen have the right balance uh, together in our atmosphere. When that balance is thrown off, nitrous oxide would result in coughing, shortness of breath, uh, chest pains. Um, and that's, those are similar to what we read tonight. And then, of course, death, because infrastructure would be damaged. Hospitals couldn't get to people in time, and there would be death if a meteor hits. And it's what it says in our passage, a third of the earth dies. So a lot of even what secular scientists would say, what would happen if, chapter 8 already describes that there's no if it's going to happen during the Great Tribulation. Now, NASA, I also looked up them. Of course, they've got to be true, too. But uh, I looked up NASA, and NASA says that they're currently, right now, they monitor it every day, they change it every day. As of today, 
there is a 0.1% chance that the earth will ever be hit by anything. Asteroid, comet, whatever. A 0.1% chance that it will be hit. And they say that if it is hit, it's probably going to be minor. The chances, NASA says tonight, of the odds of the earth being hit by anything that's going to be catastrophic in any way would be 0.000001. Chapter 8 doesn't sound like the odds are that low, does it? Sounds like there's a 100% chance that something's going, whether asteroid, I don't know, but something's going to happen when the trumpets are blown where the tribulation gets worse upon the earth. And then we see next week, the last three are even greater. Well, we're all down to 15 seconds. So if you have any comments or questions, feel free to catch me afterwards or email me. And uh, I'll be glad to respond to any email that you send. Let's pray together and we'll dismiss. Father, thank you again for this chapter. And Lord, even though it looks so frightening to us uh, as life on earth as we think about it. Lord, I thank you that in the midst of everything, you, you are in control. For believers in Jesus, Father, we know that our eternal destiny is secure and that we're on the winning side so, Father, we praise you and thank you for that tonight. And every time we read a passage like this, Lord, he just makes us reminded all over again how thankful we are for Christ and for saving us and making us your children. God, we love you and we trust you tonight. Help us this week as we walk with you to walk even closer. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. See you Sunday.